Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. I'm Anne. I have Amy Kate back with us this week. Amy Kate is an advocate for partners of sexual addicts. She's a survivor of two marriages that ended due to sexual addiction. She has six amazing children and she's trained by the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists. You know that as APSATS. She's also trained by the American Association for Sex Addiction Therapy. She's also a customer service representative at Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is a accountability and filtering software that is one of many tools that we need to use in recovery, both for our own safety and for the safety of our families. She can be found at psalm40warrior.com. Welcome back, Amy Kate. Hi, glad to be back. So we're going to talk about demystifying the behaviors of sex addicts today. Being a recovering drug addict, I'm sure, has its advantages when you're talking about your ex-husband's sexual addiction and how that worked and how devastating it was. Can you talk about the definition of insanity and where you were in that process of observing your husband's behaviors and being in that chaos and not being able to figure out exactly what was happening? When we're in a relationship with an active pornography addict or an active sex addict, why is there so much chaos? Why is it so difficult to get to the bottom of what is really going on? To a non-addict person, when you see these behaviors that are insane, that's kind of what they look like, and they make absolutely no sense. You can't wrap your head around why they do the things they do. I tend to think that this all comes from cognitive dissonance. Your brain wants homeostasis. It wants everything to be calm and centered and make sense and not actually be chaotic. Cognitive dissonance is the theory that when you have a certain set of beliefs and morals and standards and your actions don't match that, it creates its own chaos and super uncomfortable feeling inside of you. So you've got somebody that knows that porn is some version of cheating. They know they're not supposed to. They know they're hurting their wife. They know that having that affair is going to devastate their wife, but they're still doing it. In order to have those two things balance within the brain, something has to change. They have three choices, essentially. They can change their beliefs so they can somehow decide that cheating is okay. They can decide that porn is okay. That doesn't usually happen though because usually our beliefs are our beliefs. They can change the action. They can stop doing those behaviors, but that's not as easy as it sounds. Or they can change their perception. When they change their perception, that's where you tend to see all the other crazy-making behaviors that drive us absolutely insane. Talk about that a little bit. You mean like their perception of their wife? Their perception of everything starts to change. Essentially, when they're changing their perception, they're changing their reality mm -hmm. um, to make their behaviors fit what they believe. We'll use lying. That's probably one of the most rage igniting things when it comes to us partners is the lying. The lying drives us absolutely insane. But the addict will change the way he views things like the female that he's talking to all the time and ends up having an emotional affair with. It, she's just a friend. I swear. I, I don't even think she's pretty. 
I have no idea how that porn site is in the history. Maybe it's a virus. So he's creating this reality that's not even real. And the really ironic part is he starts to believe it. The brain has to come back to that homeostasis where things just make sense or it's a horribly uncomfortable feeling. So they start to believe their own lies, which is, it's insanity. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like for me as a recovering addict. When I'm in that place, it, it feels like insanity. Especially because then you have two totally compartmentalized lives going on. The one life where you're this good person and you don't engage in these behaviors and your explanations make sense. And then the other life where all of these things are actually really happening. You really are engaging in these behaviors. You really are lying. And so it's almost like you've got Jekyll and Hyde going on in the same body. Well, Jekyll and Hyde was actually an analogy for an alcoholic originally. The whole, you know, boxes and compartmentalizing, that's a huge part of addiction. When the addict is actively engaged with his family, his addiction doesn't exist. He closes that box and it doesn't exist. And then when he's acting out in his addiction, his family doesn't exist. And they're two completely separate worlds. So when they collide, like the wife finds something on the history of the computer, he has to figure out a way to make the two make sense. Lying is usually a really good way to do it. Uh, Justifications is another way that they can alter their reality and their perception of what's going on to make things balance out. For example, they'll say things like, well, it's just porn. It's not a real person. So it's not that bad. It's not even cheating. I'm a man. I can't help it. I have a high sex drive, and besides, all men look at porn, right? I mean, it's a guy thing. It's just what they do. I only do it a few times a month. It's really not a problem. Yeah, these justifications are very interesting, I think, especially when they say, like, the woman wants to be doing this. When you look at it from the porn industry point of view, we know that the women who are in the porn industry are not treated well. Many of them are on drugs. Many of them have been exploited. They are miserable doing their job. And the time that they spend in the pornography industry is very, very short. Most of them don't spend a lot of time doing it because it's so difficult for them. I've talked with someone who was on the other end. He produced porn for a while and then he stopped producing it. And he said, I always knew I was ruining the lives of the women that I filmed, but I just never thought about the people who are watching it and how their lives were also being ruined. And so I think that it's very difficult for them to realize that they're hurting their wife, they're hurting themselves, and they're also hurting the woman that is being exploited. They're also hurting the people that are in the pornography. And so it's very important to teach people that pornography creates a demand for sexual exploitation, and that demand must stop. That as long as people are viewing pornography, there will also be sexual exploitation and sex slavery. All of these justifications surrounding this make it very difficult for men to see the truth that they are using and exploiting other people and that they're harming themselves and their own family members. So instead of accepting that, they end up blame shifting and lying and all the things that you're talking about, right? Yeah. My analogy that I have for my own addiction, it's like I have this little person in my head. I actually say it's a little demon. It has one goal in life, and that's to get me to use my drug, whatever my drug of choice is. You know, these people would be porn. Mine was drugs. It will do the craziest things. It'll twist 
words to convince me that these lies make sense. Like it really makes sense. I really deserve to take this pill because I've had a really bad day or I really deserve to watch that porn because my wife won't have sex with me. And you literally believe it, even though a sober brain knows that, that it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's all balancing back to that cognitive dissonance. It's got to balance itself out. Talk about blame shifting. That's another way that addicts balance themselves out. That's a super fun one. That was sarcastic, obviously. <laughs> that one is so damaging to women because one of the big ones is they will blame the way the wife looks or they will blame the weight the wife has gained or the activities that the wife is willing to do. If she did such and such sex act, I wouldn't have to watch porn or if she took care of herself and lost some weight, I wouldn't have to watch porn. Or if she wasn't such a mean, demanding person, then I wouldn't need all this stress relief. Or I've had a really bad day at work. All my customers are jerks and I've been treated like crap by my boss and I deserve this treat. In my case, I was too much. I asked too many questions. I was too consistent. I was too demanding and controlling because I was a woman of my word and I had integrity and I was trying to figure out what was going on and I was not going to stop until I had the answers. In my marriage, I was too much. Although at the end, he told me that I was not attractive and started going down that route. But before that, it was that I was too much and then it became that I wasn't enough. And it was very hurtful to me. I, those comments, they ring in my ears still. Yeah. The, the blame types of things. Yeah, I want to. You can't get better if you refuse to take responsibility for your actions. Right. Mine was very good at projecting. Like he started isolating himself from the family. We would have things that we were going to do, like carve pumpkins, for example. And I'd say, come on, let's go carve pumpkins. And he would say he was working in his office and he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, hey, let's go to the park. Let's go do this. Pretty much, you know, anything I was trying to get him to engage in the family, he kept refusing. Well, when Discovery came out, he said that he cheated because I didn't want him involved in my life. Mm -hmm. Like he literally would flip everything around and then he would say things like, I didn't want sex enough. And the reality was that I was sex starved and right. turned down all the time. Mm -hmm. Mine stopped initiating. Yeah. Mine didn't ever initiate in the first place. And then I stopped initiating and he didn't ever do it. And I'm sure he tells people she wouldn't have sex with me. And I'm like, well, you only initiated twice during that six months where I didn't initiate. And both of those times were immediately after I had been severely emotionally abused. I wasn't safe. And then you didn't ever try when I did feel safe. So yeah, that makes right. sense. But he doesn't tell people because I didn't initiate safe sex for six months. Right. That gaslighting is pretty intense and can be very traumatizing. Um, that, that gaslighting is part of the emotional abuse. Yeah. And the gaslighting for me, it, it made me feel crazy because I didn't know my reality. And that's such a hard thing to describe, not knowing my reality. But when everything is twisted and all I had was him and I in the beginning. I didn't have anybody to tell me, okay, no, that's not right. Or that's not making sense. 
I don't know what's up or down. Mm-hmm. And it's all because of the gaslighting. He would say something, and then five minutes later, I would repeat it back to him, and he would say, I never said that. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. like, yes, yes, you did. And But by the end of the conversation, I'm going, well, did I? Like, right. I, or, I really didn't know. <laughs> yeah, or they say, I know I said that, but that's not what I meant. I meant this other thing, right? And you're like, no, you, this is what you meant. This is exactly what you said, but now you're denying it. Right. It's very strange. Yeah. Part of the reason we bring this up is not just to rehash our own trauma. It's to educate women about the behaviors that they can expect so that they know they're not crazy. So that they can start to observe their husband's behavior to see if their husband is emotionally safe. My number one goal with betrayal trauma recovery is to teach women what these safe behaviors look like. So that they can start to establish safety for themselves because you cannot heal from the trauma if trauma is continually happening to you. So really quickly, I just want to go over these things one more time. We've got lying, justifying, blame shifting, and gaslighting. We've talked about gaslighting before. We have several podcasts. If you go to btr.org, you can search gaslighting and find the several articles that we have. Also, we really recommend the book, Why Does He Do That? If you go to btr.org backslash resources, you can find the many books that we recommend to read, to be educated about these things. The one that we recommend the most is Why Does He Do That? by Lundy Bancroft. And that book will teach you the safe behaviors that you're looking for in terms of emotional safety. I'm so grateful that you were here today, Amy Kate, and for all that you have been through and the fact that you're using that now to educate and help other women, especially in your job as a as a customer service representative at Covenant Eyes. Another awesome book, one of my favorites that I recommend all the time is called Worthy of Her Trust. It gives a very, very clear picture of what true repentance and recovery looks like. And I know for me, I I went through a lot of, am I expecting too much? Do I have this crazy, not real vision of what recovery is supposed to look like? And when I read that book, it helped me realize that, yes, what I was imagining was supposed to be happening was actually supposed to be happening. So for me, that really helped undo a lot of the gaslighting that was happening to me. So that's, that's really great to help women understand what they need to be looking for. Uh, my ex tells people, well, what could I do? She wouldn't talk to me. And I, I think that he doesn't understand that I could very clearly see through his behaviors exactly what was happening. Someone who really loves his wife and wants to be back with his family doesn't shut down their bank account. He doesn't stop giving them money. He doesn't go to a singles congregation. He doesn't threaten her and say, "We, I, I'm giving you a three-week deadline. If I don't get back in the house in three weeks, then I'm going to do this, right? Those are not the types of things that people in recovery do. And so I could clearly see, even though I wasn't talking to him through his behaviors. And I love that there's a book that helps with that as well. So thank you for recommending that. Yeah. The APSATS difference is literally night and day compared to any other option out there when it comes to the healing. The coaches that are on betrayal trauma recovery, I've had the pleasure of meeting two in person and the other ones I've talked to multiple times online and they are amazing women with hearts of gold. They are so, so, so passionate about helping other women 
change their lives. And if I could come with any kind of parting piece here, it would be get yourself in your own recovery. No matter what's going on with him whatsoever, there is hope for you. Your life can change. Your life can get better. You don't have to stay stuck right where you're at. It will get better. You are worth it. That's what I want to say to these women. Amen. You are worth it. God loves you and he wants you to be safe. There is a little bit of cognitive dissonance with us because we think, well, God also wants me to submit to my husband or he also wants me to be a loving, kind, forgiving, service-oriented wife, right? So there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance in there with the wives of sex addicts who are wanting a whole, peaceful, loving family. But God is telling us, please, I love you. You are worth it. Establish safety for yourself. And starting with an AppSatch coach is an excellent way to do that because from the get-go, they can help you establish safety in your life. Amy Kate, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate the time you've taken to talk with us. Thank you for having me. If this podcast was helpful to you, please rate it on iTunes. We are also on SoundCloud. Every rating helps women who are isolated and need our help find us. Your donations are what make this podcast possible. So please go to btr.org backslash donate and donate today. Until next week, stay safe out there.